The stock market is pumping, Bitcoin is pumping, gold is lackluster, and Michael Saylor steps into a new role at MicroStrategy. This and more on today's episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. Today is Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022, and that means it is DCA Wednesday. As I mentioned in the intro, the stock market is pumping, Bitcoin is pumping, and well, gold is kind of lackluster with actually uh, financial uh, advisors, a survey of financial advisors polled, forecasting that Bitcoin will actually trend down and be uh, in the $17,000 range, about $20 to $50 lower than it currently is through 2023. Of course, forecasting the price of gold is kind of like forecasting the price of Bitcoin. Nobody has a crystal ball. Although Bitcoin uh, has a much less, uh, or there's much shorter track record than gold. Obviously, that's what gold bugs uh, brag and claim all the time. Gold has a 5,000 year history. Uh, but uh, gold certainly has had a more stable price in the last 10 years or so than, than Bitcoin has. In fact, bit, gold is actually down in the last 10 years if you look at the charts. Uh, so, so much for store of value, a eh, shift boy. Um, and also, as I mentioned, the big news breaking yesterday, yesterday evening, was that Michael Saylor is stepping down from his role as CEO of MicroStrategy, a role that he's had for 30-something years, uh, into a new role that will allow him to focus on Bitcoin and the Bitcoin acquisition strategy for the company. Uh, more on that in a bit. But first, before we continue, let's take a look at the vital statistics. As of this recording, we find ourselves at a Bitcoin block height of 747,847. Bitcoin's price has surged about $1,000 today to $23,465 or $4,262 sats per cuck buck. If you want to trade your shiny metal shift bucks, your shiny metal rocks, your little gold coins for Bitcoin. It will currently cost you 13.3 ounces of gold to buy just one Bitcoin. That's been relatively stable for the last couple of weeks. Uh, but during that time, um, Bitcoin has uh, kind of staircased up from, you know, it's low of around 17,600 while gold has trended down. So we've seen uh, the price fairly steady. Uh, much like our DCA investing, which we're going to get into here again shortly, um, by by looking at the price every Wednesday, uh, it's kind of been smoothed out if you followed the price on a more minute-by-minute uh, minute or day-to-day -day basis. Um, both assets have been more volatile, but um, this is a dollar-cost averaging show today, so uh, we'll look at gold you know, through that lens as well. And last week it was going to cost you 13.1 ounces of gold to buy one Bitcoin. Today it's up a little more. Gold Bitcoin's a little more expensive. Gold is a little down in Bitcoin terms and uh, 
So it's going to cost you 0.2 ounces more of gold to buy one Bitcoin than it would just last Wednesday. And more than a half an ounce of gold more than two Wednesdays ago. Um, but again, uh, there's been price action both directions and both assets uh, recently. Um, all right. So along those lines, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 1,406 Papa John's pizzas. That is almost four years of one Papa John's pizza a day for just one Bitcoin. So there's a little bit of food security for you if you're looking for long-term stability, if you're looking for intrinsic value. How about being able to feed a family for almost four years for just one Bitcoin? The price of oil is uh, down in terms of Bitcoin as well. Currently, one Bitcoin will purchase you 241.9 barrels of oil. That is more than 30 more barrels of oil today than it would have purchased you just last Wednesday at an average price of 413,414 sats per barrel. It's kind of a fun number if you're a numbers guy. 413, 414, 413, 414. And along those lines, if you do follow Bitcoin's market capitalization, that is up as well this week. We are sitting at a market cap of $448.4 billion. That is about $14 billion more than just last Wednesday. Again, that's because Bitcoin's worth a little more and there are more Bitcoin in circulation. Both those factors go into figuring, uh, calculating a, an asset's market capitalization. The blockchain continues to hum along, TikTok next block. The mempool is about the same as it was last week. Currently, there are five transactions, five blocks worth of transactions pending in the mempool. Last week, there were four. Uh, of course, it's been 25 minutes and 40 seconds since the last block. As you know, uh, that's not necessarily unusual. That's a 10-minute average block time that the Bitcoin protocol uh, aims for. So um, if we had found a 10-minute block, uh, there probably would be fewer blocks to clear worth of transactions pending. But at the moment, uh, it's about five blocks worth of transactions pending in my mempool on my Umbral node. Shout out to Umbral, by the way. That's a fantastic way for you to run a node if you are um, not super technical or if you're just getting into Bitcoin and you want to take that step from maybe self-custody to now also running your own node or running a Lightning node, and Umbral will let you do both. Uh, I actually have run a Raspi Blitz and, uh, and an umbral. And the umbral, I, I just love it because it's it's like running almost like a server, kind of like Start9 Labs is doing. Um, and uh, you can run all kinds of apps. It'll let you run a lightning, a lightning node, you know, your own Bitcoin node, but then you can add all kinds of fascinating apps if you choose to, uh, to your umbral node. So if, you, uh, if you're looking to build a, to build a, a node, uh, I have one on a on a Raspi, a Raspberry, a Raspberry Pi sitting right next to my regular computer, and uh, it was super easy. You know, I was having a I was having a little bit more. I had a lot more trouble building my Raspi Blitz. Uh, I couldn't get the parts that were recommended uh, on their website, so I had to make a few modifications. Uh, I ended up never getting the screen working. That had nothing to do with Raspi Blitz. Um, so I chucked the screen back into the drawer and. And just run it without a screen. And I'm doing the same thing with my Umbral because uh, you don't really need it. You interface with the Umbral. You interface with your uh, with your web browser. Uh, you just open up like uh, a local connection to your to your to your node, or you can also a uh, access it remotely once it's all set up. Uh, there's a uh, a Tor uh, .dot onion address that they get that they give you that is assigned to your node. So 
Uh, you can access it wherever you are, but once it's up and running, you'll only ever access your node from a browser somewhere. So it's really super easy to run. Uh, the user uh, experience has come a long way uh, and that's really cool. But I digress. Um, I got on a little bit of a tangent there. Uh, back to the mempool. Even though there are five pending blocks, it still says that one SAT provide transactions will still clear within a day. Although they're currently recommending, uh, fee estimators recommending a 12 SAT uh, per byte uh, transaction fee if you want to guarantee that an on-chain transaction is included in the next block. Uh, I have, um, I don't want to say I've never paid more than one SAT per byte for a transaction. Uh, there might be a transaction I did, especially when you're transferring, well, like when you're transferring your SATs from an exchange to your uh, hardware wallet, uh, sometimes they set the fee and you don't have a choice. But when I have done on-chain transactions that I'm able to control, I've never paid more than one SAT per byte. And usually that's because I'm not in a hurry. I don't care if it takes all day or till tomorrow to my for my transaction uh, to confirm. And I've never had to wait that long. Usually I'm doing them later in the afternoon or in the evening. Uh, and that's on purpose because I wait till you know transaction volumes are lower so that I can get that one set uh, per byte transaction in. And usually in the evenings or on weekends that mempool clears out and everything regardless of fee gets, gets mined. So, um, if you you know if you have a priority transaction transaction that just has to that just has to confirm right away, uh, twelve sats per byte is still pretty pretty cheap for an on chain transaction. And along those lines, the metric that you know I love to follow, the one I put the most weight into, and I'm not a TA guy or a metric guy at all, so that should tell you something. But the one that I find meaning in is the twenty four hour average transaction rate, and that is up a bit from last week. Currently averaging three point two transactions per second. Last Wednesday, it was 3.13 transactions. And if you've been listening to this podcast for any time, you know that I like to see above three transactions per second. Preferably, I don't know why, I just like pi 3.14. Um, and that's I've kind of kept that as my baseline. Anytime uh, on-chain transactions are above 3.14 transactions per second, it seems that Bitcoin's going up. Um, of course, when people are panic selling and dumping, that would tend to increase the number of transactions as well. But at least uh, during my in my experience, I like to see a transaction rate of 3.0 or 3.14 or higher. And we're currently at 3.26 transactions per second. So that is good in my humble, but not financial advice opinion. If you are a Bitcoin miner or care, the Bitcoin mining difficulty is scheduled to be adjusted in uh, just 89 blocks from now. If you recall, the last difficulty adjustment almost two weeks ago or about two weeks ago was a decrease of 5%. It looks like the, the, uh, consecutive weeks of difficulty decreasing is coming to an end though, because uh, in approximately 15 hours, we should be having another difficulty adjustment. And that is looking to be an increase of approximately 2.39 or 2.4%. As you know, the Bitcoin mining difficulty is calculated to adjust up every 2016 blocks, which uh, allows the uh, protocol to adjust the difficulty so that we can maintain an average of 10 minute transaction times between blocks. And it's going to get more difficult because we are currently averaging nine minutes and 45 seconds uh, for the per block. And that's uh, since the last difficulty epic. And obviously that is below 10, uh, 10 minute block time. So uh, it's going to get more difficult to mine Bitcoin. And that is change. Um, that is a change from the last several adjustments, which have all been downward. Uh, but uh, that is the beautiful thing about Bitcoin. As I've said multiple times, 
I think one of Satoshi's most genius inventions was weaving that difficulty adjustment into the blockchain. Other altcoins, other S coins out there have, um, well, some of them are going to that POS, which doesn't mind at all, but the ones that are uh, proof of work chains, some of them uh, have adjusted their mining difficulty to be more or less on the fly, which, uh, you know, can be a headache because if you follow, if you've got a block explorer, if you're out there following the, the you know, Bitcoin really closely, you'll know that sometimes it takes an hour or so for a block to be found. And there's always people screaming on Reddit or Twitter, did Bitcoin break? Is Bitcoin broken? Um, and the answer is no. And that's because, again, that's a 10-minute average. So that's kind of like flipping a coin. You know, if you flip a coin and you do it 100 times, 50 times should be heads, 50 times should be tails. But you might get 50 tails in a row, or you might get two or three, four, five tails in a row because uh, that is an average. Sometimes blocks come in back to back or just a minute or two apart. And sometimes they take an hour. And currently, uh, they're taking 25 or 26 minutes uh, since the, it's been 25 or 26 minutes since the last block was mined. And uh, but they're still averaging nine minutes and 45 seconds, which is faster than 10 minutes. And so we're going to see a difficulty increase uh, later tonight or tomorrow, sometime, uh, maybe 15 hours or so from now. All right. I do want to thank those of you who are listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app. We are available on all of your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps, such as Fountain or the Breeze Wallet. And we have, again, we still have a few of you streaming us sats. Uh, so if you're not familiar with podcasting 2.0, that is the new way to listen to your favorite podcast. It's the value for value modeling. You can help support your favorite podcast directly by streaming sats or by tipping sats through a boost. You can also listen for free. You don't have to pay anything at all. And some people do and some people don't, but it's kind of like the street musician playing on the corner. A lot of people stay up and listen and some people just walk on by, but occasionally somebody throws a, you know, a dollar in the hat and, uh, and to show their appreciation. And that's, that's the podcasting 2.0 model. And as much as you would think nobody's going to get rid of their precious Satoshis and especially in the form of a tip, a lot of people are stacking and, you know, holding in cold storage forever, forever, Laura, forever. And it would seem uh, inconceivable to you that you would give those sats away. But uh, some people do. And we thank you to those of you who have been supporting the podcast. Since last episode, it has been brought to my attention that the boost feature, uh, you can boost from any Podcasting 2.0 app, I believe. But uh, the Boostergram, the Boost messages are apparently only uh, able to be sent that where I can read them and where other people can see them. Uh, if you use Fountain and you mark them as not private, uh, you can, and it may be a default setting on your app to have your messages private. So if you want us to see your, you know, uh, your message, if you send us a boostergram, uh, you need to make sure that it's not private and probably sent from the Fountain app. Along those lines, we have no boost messages this week, but two of you did send small boosts uh, with either with either no message or the private message. I can't see. I don't want to dox anybody, but. Uh, the people that sent them, you're, are, you have a, a username, it's a string of numbers. One of you uh, ends in 706 and the other ends in 754. So thank you guys for your boosts. We do appreciate that. If you did send a boostergram and you wanted me to read it on air like I promised, I apologize because I don't see it. Um, and if you did and I didn't read it on air, hey, DM me on Twitter. At Twitter, we are at BTC Bulletin Pod or send me an email. We are... Uh, Bitcoin Bulletin at protonmail.com. Uh, so if that's the case, I apologize because I do want to read your messages. As I've said, 
in the past, um, if you do send us a boost via your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, apparently probably Fountain, which is the one I use, uh, so it's the one I'm most familiar with, uh, that does come in the form of a lightning message. So you can type a message to us, and if it's if you if you if it isn't a shill, if it's not an S coin, uh, if it's not vulgar or, or otherwise extremely objectionable, we're not going to read uh, anything that will get us banned. Um, but um, if you do send us a boost and you send a message, we will read it on the new podcast. And along those lines, if you don't want us to read it or you don't want us to dox you and say thank you, please include in the message: "Do not read this" or "Do not say my username." Because if you send a message and you say, hi, thank you, here's some sats, or whatever you want to send, I will read that on air if you don't tell me not to. All right, on to the news. Of course, the biggest news breaking last night, uh, making a lot of waves on Reddit and Twitter with a lot of speculation on both sides of the the, the coin, was news that Michael Saylor is stepping down from the uh, position of CEO at MicroStrategy, a position that he's held for 30 years or more to a new position of executive chairman. And in the statement they released yesterday, they said that that is so he can focus on the Bitcoin's acquisition strategy. Uh, There was a lot of speculation that this was going to be horrible, and this means that the new CEO uh, is going to dump the billions of dollars of Bitcoin that MicroStrategy owns. And other people have pointed out that they think this is a good thing because Saylor's basically retiring from the day-to-day of MicroStrategy, and he's focusing only on the company's Bitcoin strategy. And that may or may not be true, and I have no idea. My humble speculation is that this was a face-saving move. Um, As you know, MicroStrategy has some pretty big contracts. Um, Some of those are government contracts, and some of those are corporate contracts. But the way accounting for things like Bitcoin are are handled by the IRS is when the price of an asset that you hold goes down, you have to figure that as a loss, whether you sold it or not. Of course, personally, if you buy a stock or Bitcoin or whatever – and you don't sell it, it isn't a gain or a loss. You don't realize that until you sell it. And if you sell for higher than you bought it, it's a gain. If you sell for less than you bought it, it's a loss, right? But if you're a, co- a company and you keep it on your balance sheet and the price goes down, uh, basically you have to report that as a loss. Naturally, when the price goes up, you don't get to count it as an increase. But along those lines, since Bitcoin is way down, MicroStrategy reported on their paperwork, their filings, approximately a $1 billion loss almost entirely related to the the depressed price of Bitcoin during the bear market. And for no-coiners out there, if you're the CEO, especially if you're a Warren Buffett-type CEO, you know, you've got white hair and you walk with a limp (laughs) or whatever, uh, you are going to look at that and you're going to probably think, oh my God, you know, MicroStrategy made a huge gamble. Michael Saylor made a huge gamble, and boy, did they screw up. Boy, was this a wreck. Boy, did they get wrecked. And there are some uh, opinion pieces out there that say exactly that. Obviously, I disagree um, because, you know, we all know that Bitcoin has its bull runs and it has its bear markets or winters, and we're currently in the middle of one of those bear markets. But if the four-year cycle maintains like it has from Bitcoin's entire existence, uh, we're just, you know, as Adam Meister says, one day closer to a new all-time high as He also says, you know, Bitcoin always returns to a new all-time high. And looking at those four-year cycles, we're going to have the next Bitcoin halving where the uh, mining reward gets cut in half. And about six months to a year after that, Bitcoin has always set a new all-time high. And then, of course, it crashes by like 80%. And we're in that phase, the crash phase right now. Um, Some people think we've bottomed. Some people are weary because the bear markets in the past have tended to last a lot longer than they have so far, 
Nobody has a crystal ball. We can get more into that later or on a different episode. But uh, you could see how in the traditional financial world, especially the old timers, would be worried about that. And they would think that basically Michael Saylor has torpedoed the company. They're getting ready to do millions of dollars of contracts on MicroStrategy, maybe renew a, you know, a $50 million contract, whatever it, be, it may be. And so um, MicroStrategy had to do something to save face, to say, basically, uh, we're going to make it all better. We're sorry. And, you know, Michael Saylor is stepping down. We have a fresh blood stepping in and, and we'll, you know, proceed from there. So my humble opinion is that, uh, just that, that this is basically a face-saving move so that they can calm the nerves of their clients, of the customers, and, uh, and, and then carry on their merry way. Because remember, Michael Saylor still owns the majority of stock in his company. I think he's, oh, I think he's overwhelmingly majority shareholder. But again, I don't have the company's paperwork in front of me. I don't have the figures. I just seem to recall that they pretty much can't do anything without his approval. So if this uh, new CEO has been empowered to do things like dump their holdings without running it by the board or without running it by the, you know, Michael Saylor, then, then who knows, maybe, maybe, maybe that would happen, but I don't think that's going to be the case. And then again, I also don't know, but I don't think it's as bad a news as most people think, because even if, even if they, even if this is a capitulation for MicroStrategy, in the long term, it doesn't matter, you know, Tesla dumped their Bitcoin. Uh, we've had people, you know, dump on Bitcoin before and, and it, you know, it, yeah, the, it can depress the market for a brief period of time. But then Bitcoin just returns to that all-time high. You know, it, sooner or later, it's going to set a new all-time high, just like it always has. So again, just my opinion. It will remain to be seen. Uh, I guess we won't know for another quarter, because who knows? MicroStrategy could have already sold their Bitcoin, uh, and that could have been... Um, and we won't know until the next quarterly filings. All right. Also in the news, he who shall not be named, quote-unquote, won his lawsuit against British podcaster Peter McCormick. However, this victory uh, is kind of not really a victory. If, you're, if you were paying close, in, close attention, this was a liable defamation lawsuit in England filed by uh, this person who claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto against British podcaster Peter McCormick for calling him a fraud, for, for causing his reputation harm. And during this lawsuit, at least according to Peter McCormick, they basically were not trying to defend their statements, saying that uh, this person was a fraud. They were just trying to show that it didn't harm his that it didn't harm his reputation and defend against you know having to pay out a judgment. And that's basically what happened because during the uh, judgment, um, the judge Judge Martin Chamberlain wrote in the summary of his judgment that, however, because he the the person claiming to be Satoshi that was suing Peter McCormick. Because he advanced a deliberately false case and put forward deliberately false evidence until days before the trial, he will recover only nominal damages. Accordingly, I shall enter a judgment for... I'm censoring out his name because I'm not going to mention on air. On the claim in the sum of one pound. One British pound for libeling, for slandering, for damaging this individual's reputation. So, while the BSVers out there are calling this a victory, uh, you can make your own judgment on whether that was a victory or whether that was a biatch slapping by the judge uh, for this person acting, in my humble opinion, in a manner uh, not too different from what he had been accused of acting like 
that led to this whole kerfuffle in the first place. Uh, also along those lines, there is another case pending against the uh, Twitter, the uh, Twitter, Twitter celebrity uh, Hodelot, uh, and that's coming up uh, before too long. Uh, so he's suing him as well. I heard uh, Matt Odell mention on one of his last podcasts that they're going to be announcing in the next two or three weeks a uh, an effort to raise money to help cover Hodelot's legal expenses. Um, but while the BSVers and while this individual is calling this a victory, and technically he did win, uh, it was a it was a victory. I think if you read the judgment and you and you see what he won, uh, winning a dollar uh, tells you all you need to know. All right, the stock market is up quite a bit today. The Nasdaq, and this is not a stock market show, but it is a macro, and a lot of people have seen a correlation between the stocks and, and Bitcoin recently. Uh, the market crashed, and Bitcoin kind of followed with it. So, uh, along those lines, the Nasdaq is up about two and a half today, two and a half percent today so far, and the Dow and uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the the Dow and the S and P 500 are both well up over a, up well about a percent and a half or so uh, a piece as well. Market hasn't closed quite yet, but uh, along those lines, Bitcoin has been rallying as well. Uh, it has rallied about a, it's up almost a thousand dollars, having dropped to around twenty two thousand six hundred yesterday. So um, everything's looking good, and I don't know. You know, you've heard me talk about I'm not ready to call this a bottom yet, and that seems to be about split fifty fifty out there, both with the stock market and with the price of Bitcoin. Uh, there are a lot of people um, saying that the stock market is bottomed and, and just as many people saying, no, this is a bear trap or a bull trap. We get rallies during drawdowns and that um, the bear argument being that uh, you know, the market had this initial shock and now there's, there's a little bit of a rally as people saying, oh, maybe it's not as bad as it is. And that's because the companies that are going to get hammered by inflation and hammered by this, uh, by the recession if we're in a recession, not depending on the definition of a recession now, um, they haven't reported a quarter where they're getting just pummeled yet. And when they when the companies next quarter start uh, reporting mounting losses, that will have a negative effect on the stock market. And whether or not Bitcoin is continues to be correlated to the stock market or not remains to be seen. But if it is, and the market tanks, uh, there's people saying we're you know the stock market could look at it as much as another thirty percent drop. If that happens, it would not be unreasonable to think that there's that Bitcoin may drop as well. Uh, but who knows if it happens or not, and who knows whether or not Bitcoin uh, has it remains correlated and drops as well. Um, I have other reasons to to pause about whether or not the bottom is in or not. For example, a couple episodes ago, I was talking about a potential minor capitulation. There are a lot of big commercial mining companies that are in trouble. They've financed hundreds of millions of dollars of the mining equipment, some of which has not even been delivered yet. And if they start having trouble and defaulting um, and having to sell off their miners, the mining capitulation event could trigger another downward swing as well. Uh, and that and the fact that the, usually during the bear market, they last a little bit longer than, I mean, almost probably double what we've seen already, maybe up to another year. Uh, I am not prepared to call a bottom, but I'm also happy to be wrong. And if you do zoom out and look at the charts and you zoom out just a month, you'll see that Bitcoin has plotted a pretty impressive month of higher highs and higher lows. Uh, since it more than a month since it bottomed around seventeen thousand six hundred in June, uh, that chart just goes stair stepping up and to the right. So again, there are people out there saying no, that's just you know uh, a bear market rally or a, a a bull trap. And again, I don't think anyone really knows. But 
if the U.S. economy or the world economy does grind to a halt, if we end up with another huge recession, a depression, something akin to the great financial crisis, it would not be unreasonable to assume that people would dump their assets. Um, but I am not a uh, financial forecaster, and I do not have a crystal ball, and I do not pretend to know the future. So all I know is that while Bitcoin is cheap, I'm going to continue to build my stack. And we are able to buy stats a lot cheaper than we were just a couple of months. As you know, we're going to do our dollar cost average stack today. And we've been DCAing for over a year now. And we've bought the highs all the way up to all the way up to almost six, almost a $69,000 high. And we've been buying all the way down. Uh, we purchased, we've purchased as high as um, 65969 so almost 66000 And then we purchased as low as 19949 So we didn't buy the all-time high, and we didn't buy the low around seventeen. Um, but um, we have stacked at a average price of approximately 38926 if you take our average cost basis. And while that is underwater, um, that is still a lot better than if you YOLO'd in uh, all at once on the first day of our podcast, I think there, the, we calculated that if you had done that, your average cost basis would have been more than a thousand dollars more. And each week that we've stacked another $20 so far has knocked that average cost basis down significantly. And that is the beauty of dollar cost averaging. And if you are new to the show or you don't know what DCA is or dollar cost averaging, again, dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, we chose $20 and we chose Wednesdays. And you might ask, why did we choose $20? <laughs> well, that isn't very much money for a lot of people. And, uh, and if you're saying that, you're, you're probably right. For the average listener in the United States or you know Europe or a wealthy nation, $20 is pocket change. Um, but I wanted to prove two things or test out two things. First of all, you see people post online all the time, am I too late? Is it too late to, to, to buy? And I only have $100 or I only have $50. Is it even worth it? Is, it is, is that enough? And so I wanted to show that by stacking as little as $20 a week, you could eventually build a decent stack and that would be worthy of your time and money uh, over time and that you're not too late. And while dollar cost averaging and investing in well anything, but especially Bitcoin, is a long-term strategy, a long-term play, uh, I think we've already kind of demonstrated that uh, even just $20 a, $20 a week, uh, over a year, we stacked uh, we stacked a nice little... Uh, we, well, over a year, we stacked basically $1,000 of the Bitcoin, more than $1,000 of the Bitcoin. And all of a sudden, that's real money. So if you're sitting in a country where you would say $20 is nothing, great, stack it. Um, but if you're sitting in a country where $20 is a lot of money, uh, it's not, you know, Rolls Royce expensive. It's not luxury good kind of money. So uh, hopefully even if you if, if $20 is a lot of money for you, uh, it it still is worth it is still it's still worth your it's still worth it. Um, and of course, if $20 is pocket change for you and you are the sort of person that wants to invest more, hey, you do you. Um, that's the whole point. Um, you choose an equal portion and you choose your interval. Some people invest weekly, some people invest daily, some people invest monthly. I think the most common investment strategy for people is to invest when you get paid. You know, every paycheck, you put a little bit aside. So if you get paid every two weeks, then your regular rental might, might be two weeks. There are services out there that will let you DCA hourly, which I think is a little excessive. Um, 
I mean, you invest however often you want. And if you've got the money, go for it, build that stack, be, you know, be part of the, the future, but, um, but you don't need to, as long as you're consistent. Uh, so you do you and you pick an amount and you pick a time frame that suits you. Uh, and for us, uh, we're keeping it simple and we're stacking $20 once a week. Along those lines, we're going to stack today using the handy dandy cash app. Uh, cash app is not a sponsor of the show, but if you've been listening, you know, I love cash app just because it's super easy. And while they're not the least expensive way to stack Bitcoin, when you're stacking just 20 bucks, the fees are negligible. If you're going to stack a lot more, maybe you should look into a professional exchange. Um, and again, cash app might not even be available where you are, but, uh, if you are making a larger purchase, uh, obviously consider something with lower fees. In the meantime, we're going to use Cash App. And if you would like to use Cash App and don't already use Cash App, there is a referral code in the show notes. Again, they're not a sponsor. Anyone who has Cash App has a referral code. But if you use our referral code, you'll get five bucks free for signing up and we'll get five bucks free as well. So that'll be like giving us a tip. We'd appreciate that. You'll get free money and we'll get free money uh, just for just for signing up cat for Cash App if you click on that referral link in the show notes. Um, again, Cash App uh, is not available everywhere, but if it is available for you and you want to use it, we would appreciate that. Um, and that's a free way to give us, a, uh, to give us some support. Won't cost you any money at all. In fact, you'll get paid to do so. All right. So we're going to open up our handy dandy cash app. The thing I love about cash app is I don't keep any money on it. Um, you know, I live in a touristy town and I travel a lot and I have been the victim of identity fraud numerous times. Um, I've had my debit card cloned and, uh, and, and had, I've never lost any money because I got it back eventually. But since it's a debit card, you know, if it's, it's, if it's a visa or whatever, you know, you just don't pay it. But if it's a debit card, it can take like 90 days to get your money returned to you. And that can be a big deal, especially if they're doing your checking account. So I use my cash app card. And if someone clones it, it's freaking empty. Unless I intend to use it, it's going to get declined. But I can instantly add money. And all I have to do is add $20. And it is immediately available to purchase Bitcoin or to spend at Starbucks or whatever you want to do uh, with your cash app debit card or with cash app. You can pass it around to friends or family. So I... That's, that's the biggest reason that I like the Cash App. And then all you need to do is touch the little Bitcoin logo in the bottom right-hand corner, tap buy, enter $20. It is going to ask me to confirm. And boom, just like that, we've stacked another 83,843 sats at a price of $23,317. So Bitcoin got a little bit cheaper while I've been yapping. Thank you for listening because that saved us some money. Um... But more importantly, that is going to lower our average cost basis again by another $450.20. So that brings our average cost basis down to $38,475.87. If Bitcoin goes up above that price, we're in the green. If it doesn't, we're going to keep stacking. And as you've seen, as you as you've seen, we've we've been well, we've lowered that average cost basis by thousands of dollars in the last couple months. Uh, a couple months ago, we made a purchase that, two months ago, we made a purchase that dropped our average cost basis by $996. Last week's purchase dropped us, dropped it down by $509. If Bitcoin goes back down again, uh, it will drop it by even more. Of course, if it goes back up again, it, then our average cost basis is $38,475.87. So once Bitcoin returns to its new all-time high, uh, we'll pretty much have darn near doubled our money. Along those lines, if Bitcoin does go to that moon, if you believe that the moon is a million dollars, for example, uh, and there's people who think it's going to go to more than that, but just for fun, let's say Bitcoin does hit $1 million 
uh, someday and you don't stack another sat, we've already stacked 2,806,954 sats. And those 2.8 million sats, if Bitcoin does hit $1 million one day, will be worth 28,069 nice $1.54. And that would be a heck of a return for just a little over $1,000. Uh, more than 20x. So, and that's the sort of thing Bitcoin's done in the past. Uh, it does tend to go in huge moves. Uh, I don't remember who it was. Was it um, Charlie Lee? One of the Bitcoin pundits out there in the last bull run was saying that Bitcoin tends to make all its gains in short spurts over just a couple of days. Um, you know, during the 2017 bull run, it started going up in the summer of 2017. Uh, and then in the fall of 2017, it was going up still. But it didn't go on an absolute tear until December 2017. And the same thing in the last, uh, it, when, it, when Bitcoin set its new all-time high in December 2020, it did the same thing. Uh, in fact, on December 20th is when it broke the, if I recall, is when it broke its, set, it broke its, set its new all-time high of $20,000. Uh, I could be, could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I remember what was particularly funny about that is it set a new all-time high on the 22nd of 22,000 and the 24th of 24,000 and on the 25th of 25,000. So it was kind of amusing along those lines. But then it just, you know, it ripped. It went from, you know, $3,000 to 20-something thousand dollars relatively fast, relatively quickly. Of course, we set our new all-time high of $69,000. Lickety split after that double, double top with a, you know, a, 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 a lull in the summer. The point being... Uh, Bitcoin can go on a tear without warning and make huge gains really fast. So it's important to build that stack. If you think that's going to happen, if you believe in Bitcoin, if you believe in the in the fact that uh, if you believe in everything divided by twenty one by twenty one million, as Gigi says, uh, you need to get that stack. And right now, with Bitcoin being cheaper than it was just a couple months ago, every dollar you invest is going to get you more Sats. And that's the way I look at it. Bitcoin is not in the, it's not having a bear market right now. It is on sale. Uh, and as you can tell by dropping our uh, average cost basis by 1000 2000 3000 4000 $5,000 in the last two months, uh, that's making me really happy. All right. Well, I wanted to keep this episode short and sweet. I am on the road this week. So uh, as I mentioned in the promo for uh, Anchor FM, I am recording this episode on a, uh, on a phone, on an iPhone. So uh, if you had listened to that ad and you're like, well, how does it really sound recording a, a podcast on an iPhone? I'm talking on my iPhone right now. So uh, you be the judge of whether that's convenient and whether that's professional quality or not. But the next couple episodes while I'm on the road are going to be recorded on my phone. And so this is... Uh, this is this is an, specifically an example of what I was talking about. All right, if you've been listening to the podcast and you do want to support us, as we mentioned, you can do so for free uh, by signing up for the Cash App with that uh, with that um, referral code that's in the show notes. Um, first of all, please follow us on Twitter. Again, on Twitter we are at BTC Bulletin Pod, and please uh, please follow us on Twitter and please follow us on our YouTube channel as well if you prefer to watch the video version of this podcast, uh, please like and subscribe. Everything you do helps. Obviously, the more the more likes we get, the more shares we get, the more follows we get, uh, the more visible we're going to be. And uh, that will help the show as well, because the more visible we're going to be, the more people find out about us, the more people to find out about us, the more people are going to listen to us, the more people to listen to us, the more supporters we're going to get, and the better shows we can do. 
Uh, so thank you for those who have been supporting us. And if you would like to, again, you can do so by following us. That's a big way to support as well. But you can also tip us by, via Twitter. We have tipping enabled via Twitter. Or you can support us directly through the anchor.fm support link. If you're listening to us on Anchor or Spotify, uh, you can do so from the show page. That support link is also in the show notes, regardless of how you're listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google, whatever, uh, if you scroll down through the um, show notes, you'll see that anchor.fm support link. Again, if you're listening on Fountain App or your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, and you go ahead and hit that boost, that would be appreciated. You can send that Boostergram as a message, at least on Fountain App. And if you do, again, and it's not profane or objectionable or you tell us not to, we will read your boost message on the next on the next episode. You can also support us by using those referral links we mentioned. In addition to that Cash App referral link, we also have a Strike referral code. I use Strike for other... Uh, I don't use Strike to stack Bitcoin, but I use Strike for a lot of things. For example, when I do spend Bitcoin or if I do tip Bitcoin, I'm one of those guys who doesn't want to spend my Bitcoin, right? And I keep it all in cold storage anyway. So what you can do with Strike is you can load up 20 bucks or 5 bucks or $1 or whatever on your Strike app. And then you can send, like, say, I want to tip somebody in Bitcoin. I want to tip someone on the Lightning Network. I want to pay a Lightning invoice. And it takes that $1 or the 20 bucks from your debit card and sends it as Bitcoin or as lightning on the, you know, on the lightning network. So you can spend Bitcoin without actually spending your Bitcoin. And that's really cool. And if you don't have the, if you don't have the strike app and you want to sign up, that referral link will get you 10 bucks free for signing up. You'll get 10 bucks. We'll, we'll get 10 bucks. Uh, so you can tip us 10 bucks, but by signing up for strike and you'll get paid to do it. As I mentioned previously, I've written several books as well, but the one that's most appropriate for this podcast is Understanding Bitcoin for Noobs. That is a primer. It's a very short book. If you're already, if you're already, you know, if you're already running your own node and you got your Bitcoin on a hardware wallet, it's probably um, not for you. But if you have someone you want to orange pill, or if you have questions that you think are basic questions, you just want to know a little bit more about Bitcoin and um, how to use Bitcoin, what people are talking about when they say things like FUD and FOMO. Uh, well, then understanding Bitcoins, Bitcoin for noobs is either for you or for the loved one you want to help orange pill. And you can purchase that on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Links are in the show notes. Or you can just type in understanding Bitcoin for noobs uh, at your favorite bookseller and it should pop up. Finally, if you do want to tip us Bitcoin the on chain, no less, that would be cool. And we do have a base 32 address in the show notes as well. If you would like to contribute on chain and if you're watching the video version of this podcast, that is that QR code in the bottom left-hand corner. Again, uh, please follow us on Twitter. We are at BTC Bulletin Pod on Twitter. And if you like the show or if there's anything you want us to discuss, anything you want to say to us, you can DM us on Twitter or you can email us. And again, our email address is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. Until then, don't forget to join us every Wednesday as we add to that stack on our DCA, uh, DCA Wednesday episodes. But until then... Keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers.